Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? All right, so I have something I need to get off my chest. But before I do, let me ask you this. Did you grow up around showbiz or Chuck E. Cheese? I I think we actually had both in Delaware. They were both pretty popular for birthdays. Seriously, you had both? All right, well, (laughs) we we only had showbiz near us. And there's only one thing I actually really remember from going to showbiz, you know, as like a five or six-year-old. And it was the Rock of Fire Explosion Band. You remember these guys? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Mitzi Mozzarella, Fast Geronimo and the Keys. How can you forget? Well, I certainly won't ever forget them, nor will I ever forget where I used to stand when I watched them perform. You know, Showbiz had this huge arcade room, but then you'd walk around the corner into this dark room where this weird animatronic (laughs) band was playing. And I don't think I've ever been more simultaneously terrified and yet completely mesmerized as I was when I watched the Rock of Fire Explosion perform. (laughs) Yeah, my guess is uh, you weren't alone in that feeling. Well, so I'd stand in the doorway and I'd watch them because for some reason I couldn't get enough of these guys. And, you know, as you mentioned, you had Fats Geronimo, the gorilla on the keys. He was always arguing with the guy, uh, Rolf DeWolf, the, you know, the weird ventriloquist (laughs) wolf. You remember this? And then there was Billy Bob, who fortunately he was the brown bear that would usually keep the peace among the band. And then you had, uh, what was his name? He was Beach Bear, who always seemed high and he was on the guitar. And then Duke LaRue, the wannabe astronaut, this idiot mud who always missed his cue on the drums. (laughs) Of course, you mentioned Mitzi Mozzarella, the cheerleader who shared my love of Michael Jackson songs. There's one more. Why am I forgetting this embarrassing? Who was the other one? Yeah, but wasn't there like a drunk bird? Oh, right. <laughs> How could I forget Looney Bird, the alcoholic bird who hung out in that barrel of gas hall? What a crew. I know. You look back on it and it's so weird. Like, what in the world were they thinking with that band? <laughs> I don't know, but I loved them and I was so scared of them. And, you know, I don't know what it is about dark and weird things that draw us in. And The thing is, I had no idea there was an even darker and weirder story playing out for showbiz at the time. This was near the end of the showbiz versus Chuck E. Cheese pizza war, which is such a strange story. And it's just one of the stories that's made us ask the question, does pizza bring out the worst in people? (laughs) So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's get started.
Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of that soundproof glass is the man with the most angelic voice you've never heard, our brilliant producer, Tristan McNeil. You ready to talk about Pizza Mango? I am, and I, I know we've been talking about doing a pizza-themed episode for a while now, and both of us are huge pizza lovers. Well, I mean, who's who's not a pizza lover? <laughs> Which is a good point. But it was wild. As we started digging into the research, we just found so many stories about the dark history of pizza, like pizza wars and organized crime. So so we decided to focus on those. We'll take a little break, at least, from the uh, from the dark side to talk to one of our favorite pizza geniuses. Yeah, that's right. We'll be talking to Scott Wiener, the founder of Scott's Pizza Tours. And, and he's actually the world record holder for the largest collection of pizza boxes. He's super interesting, and he knows more about pizza history than anyone I know. He's definitely a pizza genius. All right. Well, let's dive into our topic. And we opened the show by talking about showbiz and the fact that I had no idea that by walking into one of these, I I was unknowingly participating in one of the greatest pizza wars of all time. (laughs) It probably would have made it that much more exciting. So why don't we start with that one? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it doesn't get that much juicier than a battle between the creator of Pong and the inventor of (laughs) Whack-A-Mole. No, it definitely doesn't. All right. Well, why don't you give us some of the background on how both Chuck E. Cheese and showbiz got started? So Chuck E. Cheese was first, and in fact, the first one opened in San Jose a couple of years before either of us was born. This was way back in 1977, and and it was actually started by Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari. He's also the creator of Pong. He came up with the idea for the restaurant because he was spending so much of his time selling Atari consoles, like to arcades, he thought there might be more money on the other side of the business, on the arcade end. So he dreamed up this idea for what would become Chuck E. Cheese's uh, Pizza Time Theater. Well, and, and I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think both the animatronic performers and the pizza were part of this concept from from the very beginning. So why, why don't you talk about those for just a minute? Yeah, they were. And both were kind of brilliant. What's more appetizing than an animatronic rat, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure why he chose a rat exactly, but it is interesting to hear his uh, thinking on the animatronics. So he knew parents probably wouldn't be excited to bring their families to a typical arcade. So he was looking for a way to bring in some entertainment and make it as much about the environment as it was the arcade games. Bushnell did a really interesting interview with The Atlantic a few years ago, and in it, he says this, The reason for doing the animals was not for the kids. It was meant to be a head fake for the parents, right? And so then he also goes on to talk about the pizza, and he explains, There aren't too many ways to screw it up. If the dough is good, the cheese is good, and the sauce is good, the pizza is good. I didn't have any preconceived idea that I knew how to run a restaurant, but I knew simple was better. Both seem smart. I mean, it makes sense. All right. So what happens next? Well, Bushnell feels he's on to something and he wants to expand. So he starts looking for investors and enter Bob Brock, who's a chairman of the Brock Hotel Corporation and a very successful franchisee of Holiday Inns. So the two of them started working together on a deal to rapidly expand the business. And Bushnell's job was really to figure out how to improve the animatronics. So these things could be in restaurants all over the country if the rollout went well. All right, so this is probably this is around 1978-79, is that right? Yeah, and this is actually where the drama starts. It was right after these big discussions that Brock meets this young inventor, uh Aaron Fector, who's also the inventor of the Whack-a-Mole. And in weird timing, Fector's been working on this animatronic band he called the Wolfpack 5, and Brock felt they were much better than what Bushnell was doing. All right, so Brock gets nervous about this, and he, he he's kind of uncertain, I guess, about the quality of the animatronics in, in Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm, exactly. So much so that he actually decides to cancel his deal with Bushnell. 
and then he strikes a deal with Fector to make pretty much the same concept. And in 1980, the first showbiz pizza opened in Kansas City. That's such a bold move. That's crazy. And, you know, it's weird that they just kept the pizza element as well. Like, they didn't seem to try to make it that much different. Yeah, but if you think back to the Bushnell quote about why pizza earlier, it's a simple food, so it made it easier for them to move quickly. And uh, I guess that's where a rocket fire explosion was born, right, from the very beginning there. And, and mm-hmm. you know, at that time, I had no idea I was watching such a knockoff act, but... If you look at them, they kind of just look shady, right? (laughs) They do. And I'm guessing it didn't take long for the lawsuits to come after that. Right. So first, Chuck E. Cheese sued Showbiz, and then Showbiz filed a countersuit. And it ultimately settled in 1982 with Showbiz agreeing to pay Chuck E. Cheese a portion of their profits for something like 14 or 15 years. Well, and, you know, this is an interesting time to be in this business because, you know, we talked about this in our weird summer travel guide episode This was around the time that the video game market experienced a a pretty big crash. Mm -hmm. So it was obviously not good for either of these chains. Yeah, not at all. And in fact, it hit Chuck E. Cheese so hard that Bushnell eventually had to file for bankruptcy. And, you know, after he was forced out of the company, Chuck E. Cheese was acquired by Showbiz. So I guess ultimately Mr. Whack-A-Mole won the war here? Yeah, so it's fair to say he won the battle, but in the end, they both lost the war. And how is that? Well, Showbiz wasn't exactly thriving, and in their efforts to improve the company performance, Fector lost out, and he left with the Rockfire band, and so that was the last we saw of them in Showbiz. Then in 1998, the whole company rebranded as CEC Entertainment. Well, and now I see there are more than 500 Chuck E. Cheese locations around the country. Yeah, it's still a big deal. It definitely is. Well, that, that's such a weird but interesting story. All right. Well, let's talk about another battle where I found some of the trash talking pretty funny. <laughs> that was the result of McDonald's attempt to enter the pizza market, something I didn't really remember. And this was back in the late 80s. Yeah, it's a good one. So why don't you take this one? All right. Well, just a little bit of background on this one. And, and by the way, there's a great mental floss story on this from Jake Rosen, one of our favorite writers there. So let's go back to the early 1980s. McDonald's is an absolute giant. And as Jake pointed out, they own nearly 40% of what was then a $48 billion burger market. That's so incredible. Well, and they were looking for ways to keep growing from there and because they were looking to break into the dinner game in a much bigger way. And the idea of taking over a mealtime was not foreign to them. And they'd done this in the early 70s when they introduced the Egg McMuffin. (laughs) And, you know, despite being mocked by critics, the McMuffin was a huge success. Oh, that's so gross. Well, their customers would have disagreed. Their customers were really digging them. Well, I I mean, I I guess. So you're saying they had their eyes on dinner, though? Yeah, you know, they'd conquered lunch and breakfast. And next was figuring out how to get people into their locations at night. Because for one reason or another, people saw burgers and their other offerings as more of a lunch thing. And That's when they started looking at this rapidly growing pizza market. And so you look at the late 1980s, they decided it was time to make a move. So what did they do? Well, it is important to note that unlike the McMuffin introduction, that this was not going to be an easy transition when it came to the layout of their stores and their kitchen specifically. And this was honestly something I'd not really thought about. So first they had to develop this super quick cook oven, and it wasn't exactly small. And so... You know, in order to include this oven and other equipment related to it, they had to remodel their restaurants. And huh. that wasn't actually the only space problem. Again, something I'd not really thought much about until doing our research here. It was the windows and their drive through So think about trying to fit a full pizza through one of those tiny windows. So in order to serve the pizza, they'd have to go back and expand all of them. But But this didn't stop them from trying. Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it might have slowed down the rate at which they try to do some of their early testing. 
But in 1989, they began testing in a couple dozen locations in Indiana and Kentucky. And uh, this is where the trash talking started because I really want to get to the trash talking. All right, we'll get to the trash talking. <laughs> so enter Pizza Hut. So, uh, you know, they had to be at least a little bit nervous. I mean, they they were the giant in the pizza business, but nobody was bigger than McDonald's. So this was definitely a threat, and they had to be ready with some good trash talking. So what they say? Well, if you look back at one of the regional ads, they warned people don't make a mistake. You get it? <laughs> they were really warning people about that. And then they started talking about their competition's McFrozen dough. Oh, that's, a, that's such a low blow. I, I kind of like how whenever you want to make fun of McDonald's, the go-to is just to add Mick in front of anything. Exactly. That's why it's so ridiculous. I mean, I, I actually, for some reason, started thinking about a brainstorming session at the Pizza Hut headquarters where they were just like, all right, what should we put Mick in front of to show those guys who's boss? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like the one genius he just rattles off like, hey, don't make a mistake by eating a McFrozen pizza because it's the McWorst. And they were all like, that's brilliant. You don't mess with the hut. <laughs> yeah, that's why they pay in the big box. <laughs> yeah, you can tell I thought about this a little little too much. So uh, so was it the trash talking that uh, ultimately canned the pizza for them? Well, I, I doubt that had that much to do with it, despite how brilliant those McLines were. But, but I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's not like McDonald's isn't used to some portion of the population mocking their food. And ultimately, there were bigger factors beyond the restructuring of the restaurants that I mentioned earlier. So think about prep time. I mean, this was a big factor. Imagine pulling up to a window and ordering a couple burgers for one person and pizza for another. So they've got the quick burger thing down to a science. I mean, those suckers are ready in a minute and they're waiting for you at the window right as you pull up. But a pizza, even if it's quick, even if it only takes five minutes, I mean, that feels like an eternity for people who are used to an almost instant drive through service. You know, plus the rest of their order is just sitting there getting cold as they're waiting on the pizza. Mm -hmm, Yeah, you can see why that'd be a problem. Well, and the other issue was price. I mean, it's it's not like pizzas are expensive in the broader food market, but when customers are used to spending a buck or two per item at McDonald's, an $8.99 item feels expensive. The psychology of this, you know, the pricing of things, it's weird, but it's interesting. Yeah, so how did it all play out? Well, by the early 1990s, pizzas were being served in, I think, about a third of their locations, but it just wasn't working. And so they disappeared as quickly as they came. I mean, you might say they were McHistory. (laughs) I've been practicing working on (laughs) them. Yeah, I think I need a little break after that joke. So (laughs) why don't we get our pizza genius on the line? Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. All right, well, Mango, I know we've been talking about uh, pizza wars, and later on in the episode, it's going to get even a little bit darker. So I thought we should take a break and talk about some of the fun pizza stuff. We're both huge pizza fans, and there's obviously plenty of reasons to celebrate pizza. In fact, I think we'll do another episode in the not-too-distant future about Mm -hmm. all the fun facts about pizza. But today we've got Scott Wiener on the program. Scott's an insane pizza connoisseur. He's the owner of Scott's Pizza Tours. He also consults on pizza parlors, writes a column for Pizza Today magazine. Sounds qualified to all this pizza <laughs> references. He judges international pizza competition and holds the Guinness Book record for the largest collection of pizza boxes. So, Scott, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, so so one of the first things I heard about you was that you loved pizza so much you decided to turn that into a career. How do you go about making pizza your career? And were people skeptical when you told them that's what you were doing? You know, I had no idea what it was going to be like in the beginning. I just thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if I could eat pizza for a living? And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, that was it. But I, you know, I was like, well, I can't do a book. Nobody knows who the heck I am. And I don't know much. And I can't write a blog because actually at the time I had no internet where I live. And I figured, well, what if we did something live action? And there's nothing better than live action doing a tour. So I figured, oh, I'll take people around to cool pizzerias. Show them the ovens, show them the kitchens, we'll eat pizza, I'll explain what's going on in the kitchen, and it'll be like a live-action food TV show. And that was that. Oh, that's awesome. I remember you telling us you kind of have a strict count of how many pizza slices you allow yourself every week because you're such a pizza fanatic. So what do you limit yourself to? So my limit is 15 slices per week. It begins <laughs> Monday morning, 12.01 a.m., and, uh, and Sunday night, and you know what? It's really hard to keep to that low of a limit because I'm exposed to somewhere between four and ten pizzerias every day. And so to be to, to have to say to eight pizzerias a day, no, I can't eat this slice right now, it's, it's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. And you never get sick of it. I haven't gotten sick of it yet, but I'm always nervous about it. And that's why I have this limit. It's just so I don't lose that edge. I mm-hmm. want to stay interested in pizza and I'm worried that what if I go overboard one week and, you know, when you're a kid and you ate too many jelly beans and now you like, can't eat jelly beans anymore? Right. I don't want to live that life. <laughs> right, right. That's pretty great. So I just moved to Atlanta and it's not like New York where you can get slices on every block. And so I was wondering, how do you plan the perfect pizza crawl in a city you don't know? So if I'm planning a pizza crawl in a city I haven't been to before, I always start by putting up a post on Twitter, on Facebook. Hey, anybody have ideas for pizzerias? And then I sort of, I call together a a list based on the most suggestions I get. I cross-reference that with recommendations people have given me on my pizza tours, which of course I keep a a long spreadsheet about that. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of narrow it down to what days of the week are these pizzerias open, what times are they open, and I kind of carve out a little route that makes sense. And 
I mean, I just got back from a trip to Detroit last week where all I did for three days was hit the pizza scene. And I, I mean, I hit a ton of pizza in a short amount of time and couldn't have done it without intensive preparation. And Detroit's like a hot scene for pizza right now, right? Only in the past few years has it really become obvious to everyone outside of Detroit that they've got their own pizza thing going. You know, if you ask anybody 10 years ago, where do you get pizza in America? They say, well, it's New York and it's Chicago. And the people who knew a little bit better would say, oh, and New Haven, Connecticut. But now we're starting to see that all these little regional variations are at least as significant. And I got to say, Having just eaten it myself, Detroit definitely has it going on. I know you've been a judge at the World Pizza Cup, which I have to be honest, isn't something I was that familiar with. So can you tell our listeners a little about the World Cup? And also, how do you taste test or judge a pizza? Wow, there are serious pizza competitions. I mean, there's that Pizza World Cup is in Parma, Italy. And then there's one called the International Pizza Challenge, which is part of the International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas every year. And... Judging is tough because, as you can probably imagine, the more slices you eat, the more they start to taste the same. So you really have to you really have to stay sharp. Mm-hmm. Like I always bring some palate cleansers, like an apple. I bring some lemon rind. I always try to have some bubbly water on hand. Uh, coffee beans to to you know clear my nasal passages. You know just to give a whiff and kind of reset mm-hmm. my olfactory senses. And, um, you know, you stay at that and you can have, you can sample 20 or 30 slices in one day and still be able to tell the difference. You know, when you're, when you're given a slice of pizza, you have to be given the whole slice so you can choose your own adventure with how you bite. And I always do, <laughs> I always do a bite of the tip and a bite of the lip. So I'm getting a, a bite of the center of the pie and I'm also getting some of the edge crust. <laughs> and after those two bites, you know, if I need to go back for more information and more, more reconnaissance, I, I can choose my own uh, bite for where I go next, but bite of the tip and a bite of the lip is the best way to start. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I'm going to start using that phrase a lot <laughs> see what people say. <laughs> well, let's talk about this pizza box collection you have. As we mentioned, you're the world record holder. So what's your obsession with pizza boxes, and, and what are some of the smartest design ones you have in your collection? Well, when I started doing these tours in 2008, I was so interested in learning as much as I could about every angle of the pizza world because it's subjective. You like a different pizza than I like, and neither of us is wrong or right, you know? So I figured, well, let me, let me dive into some of these things that, um, that, are, that are more objective. Let's, let's look at pizza box art. And I was fascinated by the fact that we have different generic box designs in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, draw their most mustachioed man a little differently than the others. <laughs> so... I just thought that that was, it was really striking. And then I started getting more into the technology behind the box. And I found, you know, there's a great box in Italy that's lined with this reflective polyester fabric so that it, it keeps the pizza hotter on the inside of the box. And it prevents the grease from soaking into the box itself, which would render it unrecyclable in some municipalities. So mm. it's a cool box. And then there's one in India that is unbelievable. It's a breathable box. It has indirect ventilation that uses the fluting of a corrugated cardboard box setup to the advantage of getting rid of steam while maintaining heat on the inside <laughs> of the box. So cool. 
All right. Well, before we play a little quiz, I want to make sure our listeners know about Slice Out Hunger. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, Slice Out Hunger is a nonprofit that I started right when I started the Pizza Tour Company, where we do fundraising for hunger relief organizations all around the country, and we do it through the pizza community. So we have an annual event that happens in New York where we have 60 pizzerias in one location, all serving slices for a buck a pop, and all the money that we raise gets matched by corporate sponsors and then donated to local hunger relief organizations. And we also have these nationwide campaigns where your, your local pizzeria might have a little sign in the window that says, slice out hunger this month with our, you know, whatever it is, our, our specialty pizza of the month, or you know, we're working on a project coming up for National Pizza Day on February 9th, which will have a simultaneous delivery of pizza in every state in the United States to a local hunger relief organization, charity, after-school program, senior center, food bank, food pantry. It's going to be crazy. Wow. Well, thank you for doing all of that uh, incredible work. And as our way of saying thanks, we thought we would give you a really horrible quiz, if you don't mind. <laughs> so what? Uh, I'm prepared. I'm all prepared. right. So what's our quiz called today, Mango? We're going to play a game called Our Cheesiest Quiz Ever. Okay. So we're going to give Scott four cheesy statements, and he's going to tell us whether they're true or false. You ready, Scott? I guess I'm ready. I, I got no choice. All right. Well, question number one. When Pizza Hut introduced the Insider Pizza in 2000, it became the world's largest user of cheese. Each pie required about one pound of cheese. True or false? I'll say true. Yeah, that's right. At the time, Pizza Hut was using more than 300 million pounds of cheese each year and purchasing 3% of all the cheese produced in the U.S. All right. One for one. Number two. Moose cheese costs about $420 per pound because milking a moose takes two hours and must be done in complete silence. True or false? <laughs> I love this, but I'm going to say it's false. Oh, it's actually true. Moose are uh, notori- no way. Yeah, they're notoriously moody and they'll go dry if they're even slightly deserved. <laughs> <laughs> so disgusting. I didn't think that was true either when I saw this quiz when Mango brought it in this morning. So that one stumped me as well. All right. Question number three. Frankie Easy Cheese Jenkins was a New York City graffiti artist in the 1970s before he patented and sold his idea for putting cheese in an aerosol can. True or false? Ooh, this is a tough one. I feel like I really want it to be true. And it could be. But <laughs> I, I'm going to say it's I'm going to say it's too good to be true. It's false. Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> originally known as Snackmate, the, the product was invented in 1965 in a Nabisco lab. All right. So Scott's two for three. This is for the big prize here. Number four. Wisconsin has started using provolone and mozzarella to de-ice roads as a way to keep cost of rock salt down. True or false? Whoa. This is another one that feels like it's too good to be true, but... All right, I'm going to go with my heart on this one, and I'm going to give you the answer that I want it to be, even though it might not be correct. I'm going to say that that is true. Yeah, done. absolutely right. So the cheese brine is a cheaper and greener way to keep traffic safe, and it comes with the added perk of making towns smell faintly like mozzarella. Wow. <laughs> All right, so what's Scott won today? Yeah, so Scott won an impressive three or four. And in addition to our total admiration, Scott's going to get a copy of The Jetsons, The Great Pizza Hunt book, which is the only book about the Jetsons and pizza with a five-star rating on Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, Scott, thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. Thanks for having me, guys. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. Before the break, we talked about a couple of the pizza wars from the past few decades. First, the one with Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz, and then the trash-talking one between McDonald's and Pizza Hut. But now it's time to tackle a much more serious topic. We don't get all that serious very often here at Part-Time Genius, but this is a fascinating case. Yeah, I know we wanted to talk about the Pizza Connection trial, right? Right. So let me just share a few of the basics and the numbers involved here. So this was March of 1987, and there were 17 people found guilty of building a massive international drug ring. It was all orchestrated by the mafia, and it was managed through this network of neighborhood pizzerias all over the country. So it started with 35 defendants, 19 of them ended up standing trial, and the street value of the heroin they moved was worth an estimated $1.65 billion. Wow, which which is no small operation. No, it definitely wasn't, and it gets more complex from there. This network was insane. So there were two primary organized crime groups behind this. You have the Sicilian Mafia, and then you have the Bonanno crime family in New York, And the arrests were not just made in New York and Italy, but in Switzerland, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit. I mean, it's crazy how wide this was. Yeah. And so I'm guessing a case this complex isn't fast to prosecute and investigate, right? No, not at all. I mean, there was a series of raids of pizzerias and homes all over the country. This was one morning in 1984. And this happened after four years of an FBI investigation. Wow. Then you have this 17-month trial, 17 months. I mean, (laughs) it's one of the longest trials in American history, and it was at the end of that that these 17 people were found guilty. Uh, I I was on grand jury for seven months once. I remember that. that. Forever, 17 months just feels impossible. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine. But in this case, it's not just because it took forever. I mean, you know, think about the jurors. They were scared for their lives. It actually ended up being an 11-member jury because one of the jurors was excused after getting these threatening phone calls. Even the judge admitted to being worried for his safety. 
Yeah, and of course, they weren't the only ones who had to fear for their lives. I, I remember reading that one of the suspects was found dead in a garbage bag before the trial ended, and another defendant was shot a few times and ended up pleading guilty from his hospital bed. Yeah, and there are two really interesting articles in Vice, or rather, there was one on the Vice website, and it was called How Mafia Pizzeria Drug Fronts Inspired One of the Most Complex Criminal Trials Ever. Click by, uh, Exactly. <laughs> by a guy named John Sirico and another on their munchie site called The Dark Side of Pie by Nick Rose. And I would recommend reading both of them. They were both very interesting. So it's just so wild that it was called The Pizza Connection and that it was largely managed through a huge network of pizzerias. So want to tell our listeners why? Well, you know, in the article I mentioned by Nick Rose, he interviews a few experts on this connection between organized crime and, and pizza. And One of the experts he spoke to was a guy named Antonio Nicaso, and he's written several books on organized crime. And when he was asked why pizzerias, here's what he said. You can do this with any kind of restaurant, but at the time, it was just easier to buy a pizzeria, and it was a great opportunity to make money and sell heroin out of the back door. He then goes on to say, a pizzeria can be a good way to launder money. At the end of the day, you can produce fake receipts because it's mostly a cash business. If you have 200 clients in a given day, a bookkeeper can punch the receipt so that it says 500 customers. And the money that you don't make from selling pizza, you can put in the cash by selling heroin or drugs and and pay taxes. Which is so crazy. And I guess another advantage of pizza places is their whole delivery network, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so they've got this distribution system that's already in place. You've got people out delivering pizzas all over the country you know, so why not have them deliver heroin? <laughs> I mean, I, I know why they shouldn't deliver heroin, so don't answer that. But it, that was their line of thinking. So eventually this pizza connection spanned all over the country. It even went up into Canada over time. And they built what was essentially a monopoly on heroin there. And as a side note, I, I noticed that the U.S. attorney who is prosecuting the case is a name we'd eventually all know. That's right. It was none other than future New York City mayor and presidential candidate Rudolph Giuliani. And he was known for being a tough prosecutor. Yeah, that's right. So this trial happens. And does it slow down the trafficking of heroin and the connection with pizza? Well, not really. I mean, just seven years later, famous original Ray's Pizza in the heart of Manhattan was busted for being this big organizing spot for another major drug ring. Hmm. And these busts take an enormous amount of human power and time. And this one specifically... It took three years and more than 200 agents involved in this thing. Yeah, it's crazy. And then fast forward to 2011, John Porcello, known as Johnny Pizza, was arrested in what the FBI reports as the biggest mob raid in its history. But, I mean, if I remember correctly, the actual pizzerias weren't discovered to be a part of the racketeering. No, but, I mean, still, I mean, the guy was known as Johnny Pizza, so (laughs) there's some connection there, but... By the way, I know there's not much funny about these cases, but when the L.A. Times reported on this bust, I did enjoy this line. It said, um, many had nicknames that just read like a Hollywood script. Lumpy, Johnny Pizza, The Bull, Baby Fat, Mush, Jello, and Meatball among them. <laughs> Lumpy and Mush. I know. <laughs> I love those. Well, it's all really strange. And I, I, I'd say while the showbiz and McDonald's stories are pretty crazy, they aren't quite as heavy as all this Pizza Connection stuff. No, agreed. But things are about to get heavier because you you know what time it is, man. <laughs> yeah, fact off time. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. So we were talking about the pizza wars in the first half of the show. Well, the founder of Domino's, Tom Monahan, he may not have been in many all-out wars, but he wasn't afraid to rough up some of his earliest customers if they tried to skip out on paying. 
As he said in his autobiography, quote, If someone refused to pay a driver for an order, I didn't call the police. I just went and demanded the money. Usually the culprits were a bunch of college guys who decided to have a party at my expense. And I didn't hesitate to swing a punch to persuade them to pay up. <laughs> That's crazy. So here's a quick one. Ever wonder where uh, Tombstone Pizza got its name? It's because it was first made in a bar that was across the street from a cemetery. You know, I actually have wondered that, but uh -huh. I've never looked it up. So that, that's interesting to know. All right. Well, I'm not done quoting Domino's founder, Todd Monahan. <laughs> he also said, from time to time, we'd have a rash of pizza thefts from parked vehicles while drivers were busy with customers. I'd hide in the back of the car. And the next time it went to that neighborhood, I'd wait for them to try it again. I'd carry a meat tenderizing mallet or a pop bottle as a persuader. What? And that approach, you know, always solved the problem. <laughs> He's just a problem solver. Simple as that. <laughs> okay, so on a slightly less insane note, in the 1980s, Chuck E. Cheese decided to expand to Australia, but instead decided to be called Charlie Cheese's Pizza Playhouse. And that's because the word Chuck is even more strongly associated with throwing up there than it is here. Wow, okay. You know, actually, I think I might try to get that term Charlie Cheese to catch on for throwing. <laughs> Somebody Charlie Cheesed everywhere. Okay, all right. So did you know back in the 1960s, there was a U.S. Army intelligence unit that would use fake pizza deliveries to spy on people, namely reporters and politicians? Well, that's weird. So want to know who holds the Guinness World Record for the most expensive pizza commercially available? It's in my old home of New York City at Industry Kitchen. The pizza, which takes two days to make, includes black squid ink dough, Stilton cheese from the U.K., French truffles, two types of caviar, foie gras, and, of course, a 24-karat gold leaf. Whoa. It goes for $2,000. All right, that's ridiculous. Of all the things we've talked about today, that is the most offensive by far. So that shouldn't be classified as a pizza at that price. Actually, Megan, you got me so riled up, I'm going to have to give you the fact-off trophy today. <laughs> well, while uh, while Will storms off, I'd like to thank you for listening today. And, and if you want to share any favorite pizza facts... Hit us up at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter or call our 24-7 fact hotline. It's 1-844-PT-GENIUS. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.